Have a seat. If I could get a music stand, there he comes. There's, there's, there's Ben. All right. Thank you. And if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew 5 this morning. Uh, we are going to take a, a brief break from the book of Acts over, uh, well, just this week we're taking a break from the book of Acts. We'll be back at it in Acts 5 uh, next week. But today I want to talk to you from Matthew 5, especially thinking about Vacation Bible School and thinking about Uganda and what God is doing there. So uh, I'm going to jump right to Matthew 5 up there, DJ Reggie, so you can skip those first couple of slides. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand this morning, and I pray, God, there is, Lord, there's such a temptation to just hear another sermon and just kind of go out and, and move on from a, a very busy week, a very good week, a faithful week of ministry, but a week where certainly we would be eager to rest, eager to get to a Sunday afternoon of, of recreation or leisure or maybe just a good long nap without children around. Whatever it is, God, that you're going to have our people do to rest, Lord, don't let us forget what you're about to show us in your word. We need the rest from the ministry, but we don't need the rest from the awareness of the work, the mission work that you have the church on. We don't need a rest from the awareness, God, of our call, not just to Seaford, but to the nations. And so give us a rest, Lord, from the work today. But I pray that the things we're about to hear from the Word would lodge in our minds, the things that we hear in conversation with myself and, and Brian and Gerilyn and Pastor Sam, these things would lodge in our minds and our hearts. And Father, I pray you would call men and women to higher things in this time. There's some you may call out of the country in this time. For a couple of weeks, eight years, in the cases of the whites, who knows? Just speak during this time, Lord. We are yielded to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In salt and in light, we have two different pictures of the work that the people of God do throughout the world. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, begins with the greatest sermon intro ever, the Beatitudes. We would probably be safe to say that millions of sermons have been preached in the last 2,000 years just on the sermon intro to Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. But after he gets done talking to them in the Beatitudes about what your life looks like if you're the type of person that is yielded to the Lord, surrendered to the Lord, following the Lord, what that sort of blessed life looks like, he starts to talk about our identity as salt and light. In salt, we see how we are to preserve the world, and also to bring the gospel flavor to the world as the church. Through the preaching of the church, God is restraining the sin of humanity. Without the gospel in the world, what would the, uh, the world even look like? But also, we are not just salt, we are light. We are pushing back the darkness with the truth. And we are drawing attention to the Lord in everything that we do. I don't have a ton of time this morning. I, I'm excited for you all to hear from our missionaries, but I do want to take just a few moments to look at these verses. Uh, we're going to look briefly at the salt, particularly focus on the light, considering all week long we told the kids to shine Jesus' light. So, verse 13, though, just briefly looking at the idea that we are the salt of the earth. In the first century, salt had two main uses, flavor and preservation, and I think we can apply Jesus' words in both senses. On one hand, our preaching of the gospel brings what R.C. Sproul called zest to the world. How boring would the world be without the church? 
How boring would the world be without the eternal gospel being preached? How dark and sinful would the world be? It's not just about the flavor of our preaching, though. In a time without refrigerators, salt was very important for the process of preserving meat. And similarly, Christians are important for the preservation of this world until the day when God judges it with fire. God is a merciful God. He is merciful not to allow humanity to destroy itself. He's a patient God. Until all the names written in the book of life come into his kingdom, King Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, governing history in his full joy. Left to their unrestrained sin, humanity would rip itself apart. Romans 3 says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Now listen to this. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a picture of the fallen state of humanity. This is the natural inclination of the human heart. Left to their own devices, humanity would destroy themselves. We would destroy ourselves. But God has graciously given us institutions that keep us from this destruction. One would be government. Another would be family. And of course, he has given the world the church. And the church's preaching of the gospel, the light that we bear in preaching the gospel, it has done so much in society to reform evil temporarily and to provide society with relief. God's mercy to humanity in the form of the church's obedience and proclamation of the gospel is demonstrated over the last 2,000 years. We have seen the church's work end many evils in the world, like the transatlantic slave trade. It was the church that rose up and said, this is not okay. Child labor, women and minorities not having basic rights in this country, it was the church that rose up and said, this can't be. We have seen the, be be the beginning of beautiful things like our modern health system, our modern education system. These things started in the church, even the Ivy Leagues, which maybe you would feel like it's not as beautiful as some of the things taught in the schools these days. The Ivy Leagues came from the church. The world won't give the credit, but they should be thankful for the church putting up a stop sign to evil, executing justice in the world, and through us, God is using his mercy to restrain humanity from just completely destroying itself. We are the salt of the earth. But I want us to spend most of our time focusing on verses 14 through 16 because we have been traveling through space with our VBSers all week long telling them to shine Jesus' light. We've been talking about how we are the light of the world. We've got wonderful lights here with us this morning in Pastor Brian and Pastor Sam and in Gerilyn. It makes sense for us to camp out here before we bring them on to uh, the platform. In the same way that Jesus says we're the salt of the earth, he says we're the light of the world. Here's what's so striking to me about that. Before I can start thinking about myself being the light of the world or Pastor Sam being the light of the world, before I can think about any of you being the light of the world, I have to stop and think about the fact that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says he's the light of the world, and yet here he's telling us that we are the light of the world. What do we, what do we make of this? John 8, 12 I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That was the first memory verse of the week for our kids at Stellar VBS. Jesus is the light of the world. 1 John 1.5 tells us that God is light. There is no darkness in him. We know from Paul, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It makes sense then. That Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God of light, would be the light of the world. Matthew Henry said the world would have just been a dark dungeon if the God of light had never come to us in the person of Christ. And yet here in Matthew 5, we have Christ, who is the light of the world, looking at his disciples and saying, you are the light of the world. 
And by extension, anyone who would follow after you and follow me, they are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. The sort of people that he calls blessed in his sermon intro, in the Beatitudes, they're the light of the world. The sort of people that Psalm 1 describes, who are like the tree planted by the streams of water, being fed by the Word of God. They're they're rooted in the Word of God. They do not stand with the world. They do not scoff with the world. People like that are the light of the world. Faithful disciples of Jesus called out of the world into community together in local churches. They are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. How can it be that we are the light and he is the light? I don't know about you, but I get uncomfortable when Jesus starts giving me titles that I feel like belong to him. You know what I mean? I'm sure you feel that way as a worshiper. You're going, no, 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 you keep that. You keep that. You, You are the one that deserves that title. Don't call me the light of the world. You're the light of the world. But he said it. And we've got to deal with it. And we reconcile it, the idea that he is the light of the world and we are the light of the world by understanding both who he is and who he is in us. That's how we reconcile it. That's how we we get some peace over the idea that he has said, I'm the light of the world and you're the light of the world. We've got to understand who he is, but also who he is in us. We were born in darkness, not in light. He revealed himself to us through his word, and we believed, and when that happened, we were ushered out of that domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, who is the light of the world. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the same way that he created the world with his brilliant power, he spoke it into existence. He saved us with his glorious, powerful, potent grace. Just as he said, let there be light in creation, in our conversion, he declared and decreed, let there be light in them. 2 Corinthians 4.6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now, you and I, as those who have been shown that light, we go out into the world as ambassadors of the kingdom of the beloved Son, who is the light of the world. And we show them that light. Only one chapter on from Paul speaking about how God has shown light into our hearts by showing us the glory of God in the face of Christ. He says we are ambassadors. He says God is making his appeal to the world through the church, through us. We bear the light of the gospel of reconciliation. We bear the light of Christ the reconciler. We bear the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We bear the marvelous light of the one who has called us out of darkness. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what we have seen throughout the book of Acts, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings. Christ told the disciples, go to Jerusalem, you wait there, power will come to you from on high, the Spirit, the promise of the Father. And so they go to Jerusalem and they wait, and when the Spirit comes upon them, it is evident in the sight of tongues of fire, it is evident in the sound of rushing wind, and it is evident in the speech of the languages of the nations. And from the coming of the Spirit in Acts 2, what we have seen is that they are moving. And they are taking the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea just as they were told to. Just last week we saw the people from the towns and the surrounding regions. They're pouring into Jerusalem just hoping that Peter's shadow would fall on them. 
And so in Acts, we've seen the people taking the light of the gospel. We've seen the church taking the light of the glory of Christ, and they are pushing back the darkness, continuing the kingdom work of Christ. They are his body on the earth doing his work as he, the head, governs from heaven. And the Spirit is empowering the work from within, guiding the church into all truth, convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness. And so you come back to Matthew 5, and hopefully we can understand a bit more how he is the light of the world, but having transferred us out of the darkness and into the light, he has now sent us out as ambassadors of the light, and we are the light of the world. And as you see Jesus saying in Matthew 5, we are accomplishing this by doing good works, and then we point to our Father in heaven as the source of those good works, as the one who has compelled us to do these things. This does not mean that we run around the world performing all of our good works out in public so that people would praise us. Of course not. Later on in this sermon, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward for your fa- from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There's things between you and God that need to be left between you and God. Because there are things between you and God. And yet, there are some acts of our devotion that, by necessity, involve other people. Like at some point to love your neighbor, you're going to have to go interact with your neighbor, right? You're going to have to go actually meet them, learn their name, and then love your neighbor, right? You can't stay in your house and say, ah, I love my neighbor, but never actually love your neighbor. It is an action. There's parts of your life, parts of your obedience before God that are going to be done publicly. You work publicly, a lot of you. There's aspects of your family life that are more public, aspects of your recreational life that are more public. And in those public areas of our lives, we need to be serving the Lord. We need to be working for man as unto the Lord, glorifying our Father in heaven. And when your boss says, why are you a better employee? And when your friend says, why are you a better friend? And when the director of York County Little League says, why are you a better coach? Why'd you buy all that stuff for those kids? Why'd you go the extra mile for all those kids on, on, on your little league team? And you say, it's my Father in heaven. He has shown me his love immensely in the greatest possible way in his son, Jesus Christ. He came to me in a person. He loves me that much. And so, I want to love you. And they will want to know, what is this strange glow that is coming from our lives? And we will tell them with our words and we will tell them with our works. Now, before I bring up our friends from Uganda, the question that you might have is, well, where do we do this? Where? Is it it just in my neighborhood? Well, the answer that we gave the kids all week long was worldwide. We didn't put zip codes on it this week. I think sometimes people get caught up with pitting the light here against bearing the light around the world. But we should not try to make friends divorce from one another. We shouldn't try to make friends fight. If you look at history, you'll see that as the church gained more access to the world through ships and planes and boats and emails, they took that opportunity and got the gospel to the world. We can't do everything as a church. Every church can't do everything. But God will call certain individuals and individual churches to the places that he wants them and the times that he wants them to bear the light in the way that he wants them in order to call his people to himself. And we just must be obedient. Jerusalem and the ends of the earth. Judea and Samaria. And I'll close by illustrating it in this way. I want you to imagine yourself as a father of a beautiful 22-year-old woman in 1810. She's a godly young woman. You raised her right. A group of Baptists are meeting in your home in Bradford, Massachusetts, discussing mission work. It's a very exciting time. 
A lot of Baptists are starting to come together, throw a lot of money on the table to do a lot of good work. It's very exciting. It's amazing what you can do when there's not some organization saying, you have to do it this way. You've got a bunch of autonomous churches saying, we can do whatever we want. Let's put the money on the table with the Bible, and, and let's decide where God's calling us to go. And so imagine you're in your, your home and the Baptists are meeting. It's very exciting, but you notice one of these young, passionate Baptists is eyeing your little girl. Now, you love mission work, but you live in Bradford. And you were committed to the life God gave you in Bradford. You're a deacon at the church in Bradford. And you're committed to serving the good Lord there. You have zero plans to leave. Bradford is your Jerusalem. But then you get a letter from that Baptist that was eyeing your daughter, and he wants your 22-year-old beautiful little girl's hand in marriage, and he does not want to stay in Bradford. I have to now ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of wanton distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Obviously, you can see our imagined story is real. The man's name was John Hasseltine, his little girl's name was Anne, and the Baptist that was after her hand in marriage was Adoniram Judson. And John Hasseltine, the deacon Baptist from Bradford, who surely loved his daughter, and surely would have loved for her to marry a local boy with aims of settling down on a family farm in Bradford, he gave his little girl away to the mission field, and he never saw her again, for she would die in Burma. Home and abroad, Bradford in Burma, Seaford in Jinja. Let's welcome Pastor Brian and Pastor Sam and Gerilyn onto the platform with me. Very fancy stools provided by our office manager, Sonia Barnett. I actually got very excited about these stools. Because of the fact that they look like the Napa auto parts stools I used to sit on when my dad would make me go with him to the store, and uh, just brought me back. So, oh, I have a microphone. Thank you. All right. So I thought Gerilyn was going to come. She's coming. She's coming. Okay. There she is. And we have a stool for Gerilyn. Excellent. All right. So we did have. Uh, a couple of questions I would like to ask, and I think that one question that gets asked here a lot, and I don't know who wants to answer it, uh, but one question that can get asked a lot is, when we have so much mission work to be done here, when we have an abortion mill in Newport News that is working every day, when we have Peninsula Rescue Mission to partner with, and all this work around us, and all these lost people around us, why should we partner with you all in Uganda, or why would we get on a plane maybe beyond just the partnership and the giving? Why would we get on a plane and come there? Yeah. So uh, the need in Uganda is desperate, but the need all over the world is desperate. Um, there is, uh, at this time, however, uh, I, an opportunity in East Africa. Many of the peoples of East Africa are desperate for truth. There are many places around the world where that's true, but we definitely know that that's true in East Africa. At the same time as they're desperate for truth, there is very little access to the true gospel in Uganda uh, and all over East Africa. Uh, the church is plagued with false teaching, uh, prosperity gospel preaching, which promises all kinds of things above salvation as, as really the hope for life. 
riches, cars, money, jobs, uh, all kinds of things, health that are promised and, of course, very rarely delivered by the pastors who promise them and get rich off of the money that is given by people uh, to these pastors. So there's a desperate, desperate need in Uganda for, uh, for training of those pastors and church leaders so that they can preach the true gospel. Now, how does that impact us here? Why Seaford? Uh, why should Seaford be connected to these, to these tribes in Uganda? The answer is simple. Uh, within the next 100 years, there will be more missionaries coming to the United States than leaving from the United States because the church in the United States unfortunately is shrinking. Of course, our prayer and hope is that that will stop and that the church will again grow here in North America. Um, it doesn't seem that that's the way we're headed, but God can do anything. Amen. So Amen. I don't want to discourage you from doing the work you're doing. Please do the missions work here. As a matter of fact, we really have a heart for uh, the church here in the, the United States, which is part of why we do things like this. We don't just travel around and share in churches so that we can get support, prayers, and all those things, grow our team to do work there. But we have a passion to see the, the church of the United States grow in its desire to serve the Lord in fulfilling the Great Commission, because we believe that's going to grow the church here as well. So um, there is a massive, massive need, because one day, uh, not too long from now, your great-grandchildren are going to need to hear the gospel. And if there's not a strong foundation for the church in East Africa, if there aren't missionaries that really know the true gospel in East Africa, then they're going to be bringing a false gospel back here to preach to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. And I know all of us, for all of us, we pray and hope and work for our children to know the true Jesus, to be saved, to be rescued from their sin, and also then, hopefully to become people who, like us, are willing to give everything to share the gospel with the next generation. So that's our prayer. That's our hope. That's why we believe you guys, uh, and why we thank you for being involved, and why we, we hope that you'll be involved until Jesus comes back. I didn't have this question on the, <clears throat> the agenda, but I, I do want to ask, just so everybody here has an understanding, like, when we go out to share the gospel, like if, I, if everybody here just committed, we're going to share the gospel with one person this week, we would find like a lot of indifference. We talked about that in our service last week, how indifference is what we're f facing here in Seaford. People just think, I don't need God. I've got, got everything I need. I don't need God. And I think sometimes we can think, well, this must be the way the whole world is, right? Uh, I, went, I went to seminary with uh, about half of my seminary classes at Liberty Baptist Theological were uh, South Koreans. And I looked around and was like, What's going on in South Korea, you know? Um, and what I've come to find out is there's a massive evangelical movement in South Korea. And that Central America, when we went down there, uh, the openness to the gospel, when we went down there to El Salvador as a church, I was blown away. Everybody was, you know, for the most part, ready. You know, they have a different idea who Jesus is, but uh, the Jesus you see on the back of the bus in El Salvador is more of a good luck charm and not the God they worship. However, right. there's an openness is Uganda open to the gospel more than, more than Seaford as a couple of folks that grew up in Seaford? And Pastor Sam, uh, maybe you could help us as well understand, is there an openness just to talking about eternity and the gospel and salvation in your nation that we don't experience here anymore? Yeah, I think uh, basically that is true. Yeah, Sam, that we, is we, true. we do have um, microphones that work here. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I love talking when I'm standing. I believe that is true. Um, there are other places in Uganda, if you visit, you will find even people don't know how to pray. Mm. So gospel, something so strange to them, but they would be able to listen. I, I want to give you like this in uh, far away in 1996 when I graduated from the seminary, there was a call, a need, a combination of Southern Baptists and Conservative Baptists, which comes from... Uh, um, uh, California. So they wanted to support missionaries to go out. And they said, for us, we cannot go ourselves. Because when we go out there, when people see a different color, people will come to salvation because they're expecting something, but we needed the black people to go there. So they wanted to recruit missionaries, but then they needed the people who have done diploma in theology to go. Now, by that time, I have just graduated. I didn't have a diploma in theology, but I have an advanced certificate in theology that is between a diploma and the certificate. 
Now, the people that needed to be sent, who had the diploma, said we cannot go because they wanted them to be sent to these war-torn zones. But this guy said, no, we are not ready for that. We don't want to go and die there, and nobody's going to take care of our family. But then, when all these guys refused, then I felt a call in my heart, and God like was saying, I am not after your life because you're already born again, because when you die, you're coming straight to heaven. But I am concerned with the life of the people that have never had the gospel. Can you go? So I went and picked the form. I feel, and I was not so sure because that was not the, the standard they want. But when I went and filled the form, I sent, we were called for the interview. And out of the five, I was selected. So I said, God, wow, I think uh, your call in my life is going to be fulfilled. But then remember, this is a war zone where people are running away, looking for where there is peace, but this is a place I am supposed to go. I was concerned with the people that were dying, minus salvation, minus the word of God. And I went. And the story was different. When I went on the ground, things turned the other way around. I started suffering the first night I went there. I was not given the accommodation which I, I rented. Things turned the other way around. I rented a small room which has on a three by three meters, but a family of eight. But worse still, it has no doors at us. But why was I suffering? Because I knew it was a cold. I was supposed to minister to the people who are dying minor salvation. So that blessed my heart even when I have lost two children, as Jolene was saying, I did not quit the place because I read in the story where I said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. As we speak today, we have 14 churches which began from my house <laughs> and today we have 14 churches planted in the land of Kidgum and people are blessed to listen to the gospel. So that is why I'm saying in Uganda, there are places that still need the gospel to be taken there. As we take the gospel there, then it has to be followed by true teaching. That is when they will also get stability. So as I planted these churches, I started teaching them. And even when I left, everybody was like saying, is this church going to survive? Because now the pastor who brought this church is leaving. But it did not die down because I had put them on the fan foundation of the true biblical teaching. Now, when I went back there, because we began a training center there, the pastor that was there said one thing. Said, we thank Pastor Sam, even if he did not build for us a house, a church here, but he built human resource. We are what we are because of what he did. So, I would say, in Uganda, there are places that still need the gospel. Not only even in Uganda, even in America here. I was blessed last Monday when I went to share the gospel with the, uh, how do we call them? Officers of men had a gathering of uh, people from the street. And as I was sharing the gospel with them, because I shared my personal testimony, as Geraldine was saying, I was pulled from a witchcraft background. And God brought me to salvation and disciple me to be what I am today. So I shared my personal testimony about where God picked me from. And one of the guys, after I concluded, and I asked whoever wants to give his life to Christ, and this man stood up, rose a hand, and said, I think your testimony challenged me. I had been in that field. I led him to Christ, and another person who had been coming in that, that, that gathering for the last one year also gave his life to Christ. So when we went to the bus station, I, there are many things that I saw, many women smoking, and which does not happen in Uganda so easily. But I was also touched to minister, and in the bus station, we led seven people to Christ. Two of them was led by me, an American, but also a young man from Mongolia was also led to Christ. So both nations, not only in Uganda, both nations need the true gospel to change them. Amen. Can I share something real quick yeah. in summarizing that? If you look over church history throughout time, there's waves of, of um, revival that have gone out in different areas. And I will say that East Africa has been in that wave of revival for a long time. And part of the reason is truly because um, unlike, like you said here in America, 
in Uganda, there is a very sensitivity, a great sensitivity to spiritual things. So much so that what we affectionately call the running stomach, you can kind of get an idea what that means. But, you know, that can be attested to demons and all kinds of different things. And so there's truly an openness for spiritual things. It's already embedded in all of the culture. It's just a matter of pointing to who is the true God. What is the true meaning of this? So um, I remember even in our time of preparing to go, um, experiencing God was big. I did experiencing God here at Seaford as a teenager. And that whole idea of look at where God is moving and join him there. And that was part of the, what the Lord even used us to, as we were deciding, do we continue sending teams or is this where our life is supposed to go? I, um, so let's say we have people here this morning, they've heard this, and they're like, well, this sounds wonderful. I, I would like to give uh, toward it. Uh, and that's something that you all can do. Uh, if you go to seafordbaptist.com slash giving, you can give extra towards missions there. But if you want to give specifically towards Brian and Gerilyn, you can come talk to them afterwards. So, uh, But let's go beyond that. Let's talk about taking a couple weeks of your life and going to Africa and going to see what Pastor Sam is talking about, what Brian and Gerilyn are talking about with your own eyes and to participate in it, to be a part of it. What, what do we have? Because... We don't want to spend, it's not cheap to go to Africa, I'm sure you all can imagine. I talked to them about it. You're looking at $2,500 to $3,000 a person. It's not a small amount of money. A lot of good could be done with that amount of money. So the question I asked them that I'm asking, I asked them privately and I'm asking them publicly in front of you all, and I'm asking Geraldine specifically because I know she's passionate about the answer, is why is it a good use, you know, for, I'm just picking on Holly because I see her, but why would it be a good use for Holly to take $2,500 and to go to Africa? Why is that a good move for the kingdom of God, for Seaford Baptist, for the lost people in Uganda, the pastors, the whole thing? Why is it worth it? I will say, number one, I was saved in this church. I was saved through the youth ministry, and I went on every youth ministry trip that we did, every ministry trip we did. And I will say, first and primarily because of that, I am a life that is changed because of going on mission trips. It was not just um, that I was called to missions, but I was discipled. I was refined because of that. My eyes were opened in different ways to not just um, the needs of my community, but a the global church that we are part of. And so I'll say, number one, that you, the team, and, and the, you know this, the people who have come to Uganda with us, they're changed. They're talking about it. Their lives are, are different. And um, that's number one, I'll say, for the change and the health of this local body, your team will come back different. Your team will come back excited and, and sharing the gospel and eager to be part of different things. Um, secondarily, I'll say... Um, there's a difference when, the, yes, this is a, a moving church, a giving and going church. There will be different for you to be on the ground and see what God's doing here in Uganda. It's a whole different thing to see what's happening. Um, one of the, there are different ways that people can be a part of teams. Of course, the pastor training center is our number one thing. And so a lot of time when teams come, everyone's not going to get up and teach a theology course. But everyone can share the gospel and some basic understanding of what discipleship looks like. And so that's a great course for us to bring teams in to teach. And we do teaching during the morning. And then the afternoon we go out along with pastors to share the gospel. And would you honestly believe we've had pastors who say, and this is more normal than abnormal, say, I have never shared the gospel. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're hearing these things that are, you can imagine the impact that would have on your life to be able to be a part of that. And when you see, we had a team who was with us just before we came back in May, and for three days they did that course and saw 60 people come to Christ. Like that is truly life-changing. And um, another way, which this, this church has also been a part of, is through Hannah Moshi. Um, there are some people who here have skills in auto mechanics, carpentry, um, hairdressing, like, like we shared this morning, the impact that Amanda had coming over with her skills of hairdressing and what that did. So there's different kinds of skills, just hands-on skills that can come that as you're teaching a, a skill, you're getting the opportunity to also share Christ and, and lead someone on in their journey. So there are many different ways. What we truly love to do is, is find who is called who is the Lord stirring in their heart to bring? What are the skills? What are the giftings they have? And how does God want to use it 
in what's already happening in East Africa, in Uganda. We're not gonna come just have a building for you to paint, you know, just to do it. We wanna really find the way God has uniquely gifted you and skilled you and given you passions and how that can serve the church in East Africa. That's one of the things I love but, talking about. Uh, but I also want to say, like, um, it's not to know what Geraldine has said, but also it will give you more opportunity to keep supporting because you will be there on the ground and you will see the need by yourself, by your naked eyes. Mm -hmm. And you, you will come back and say, oh, these guys are doing the rail work down there. Because sometimes we have seen ministry in Uganda, they began, but later on it plopped because sometimes the truth is not there. But when you go there and you see everything being done, you visit these training centers, then you'll come back and say, I think you guys, we need to increase our support to support these guys. Absolutely. I, that happened to us when we went to El Salvador. Uh, we just saw this child trafficking movie. A lot of people in the church saw it, The Sound of Freedom. And I was able to see it and go, oh, I've been down there. I, I, I've seen the work. I know the work that Orphan Helpers is doing. Let's keep supporting that work because it is directly addressing this issue and it'd be the same thing. And I loved what Gerilyn said when we all talked about how let's build a team and then figure out what that team can do as opposed to, hey, come down here and paint this building with your team no matter what their skills are. And then, you know, see you later. I hope it was a blessing to everyone. But to really do effective, lasting ministry in this partnership. So uh, we're going to close up with Brian wanted to ask me a question. I did. We, we figured that would only be fair. Yes. So, <laughs> so I wanted to ask uh, Pastor Michael, and I'll ask you as well, actually. He's going to get the chance to ask, answer here, but I want you to really ask this in your own heart. I want you to think about this. What is the number one thing or one of the main things that prevents the church in America? And, of course, we'll just talk about Seaford. That may get in the way of Seaford um, doing what they're called to do in accomplishing the Great Commission around the world? What is, what is something that gets in the way of that? Um, so I would say the biggest thing for us that probably gets in the way is that if... if so we're, we're a church of, of about 220 active members. So let's say that you took that and you said, our, our church is represented by a five-gallon bucket. Everything we can do is in this bucket, right? There's a lot of Christian things we want to do and can do locally, globally. We can't just keep putting stuff in the bucket because at some point it's going to break apart or it's going to overflow or you're not going to be able to lift it. And so the, the, the analogy that I'm getting at is that we might have to stop doing something in order to go to Uganda regularly or to El Salvador regularly. Um, we're a very busy church. Like the, the, something ends, the next thing starts. And we're programmatic in that way. You know, it's like one program ends, the next program starts. We are a church that has the finances to be sending a couple teams a year onto the mission field. Um, I would love, I, 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 I'm all in with this. You all know that, talking to you all. I've been talking to my friend Daniel Chambers, who's in southern Europe, working with North African and Middle Eastern people, thinking about, could our church partner with them? Could our church partner with them? And we still will through prayer, but I talked to Daniel about you all after I met Sam on that Wednesday, and he said, oh, no, 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 don't come here, go there. He was like, you need to go, your church is equipped to do that right now. He's like, you'd be coming here on some vision trip not even knowing what you're doing. Why? He's like, you know what they're doing, go do it. So I'm all in. We should, we should be able to send a team to Uganda once a year. And then one other place that we want to send a team. So we, we could have two places. We're, we're regularly sending mission teams. But we might have to, to think about how we fund those trips. And also we might have to think about what do we do as a church? Are there things that we have to say the bucket can only hold but so much if we're going to add some other things that are really important. And we want our people to feel freed up to be able to go out on the field. We can't suck up all their time here because I recognize I know time's a commodity you only have but so much of it I know you all only have but so much time I know that most of you are sitting here going time is a bigger issue for for me than money yeah. that's the that's the answer for a lot of people in this room sure. it's time and and I don't have that answer this morning yeah. that's something that our pastors will have to sit down and really talk about and think through with with leaders in this church it will take time 
But I think the first step is for us to commit to just going and to, to just go to Uganda, right? To commit to that first trip. So we're thinking about that, and I'll be talking to Steve Wells and our, our mission leadership team will be thinking about that. But, and we want to we set that up. Um, but it will take us a little bit of time to figure out what it looks like for us to be a mission. We are, you all are so faithful to pray and give. We are so faithful to pray and give, but since COVID, Amen. we haven't gone internationally. Uh, and that would probably be the case of a lot of churches. I think now is the time for us to become a going church, to become a sending church. Not to say, well, we're going to all these fantastical places in the world, and we're going to come back, and we're going to have a thousand cool pictures for our Instagram of us holding babies. and all. That. It's not about any of that. Like finding partnerships in the world where we can make a difference, committing to it, and then being consistent in that partnership long term, not shooting off all over the place. Yeah. We're talking about like a, a marriage That's as, as opposed to dating. Amen. Um, or even one date, one blind date, yeah. which is the way a lot of missions goes That's with exactly local right. churches. So, so yeah, I'm fired up. We don't know what it all looks like yet, but I do think yeah. that for us, we, we, as a ch- we can't always just keep adding stuff on, even though they're all good things. That's right. So, it is 11.14. Our service is supposed to end in one minute. So I have to wrap up, and I've been preaching too long lately myself anyway, so I have to wrap up. Yes. These three are going to be around afterwards. Yes. They're going to be out in the lobby at the sign-up table. Uh, please come and see them and talk with them and ask questions of them, and, uh, and they're, they're willing to stay here as long as they need to today uh, to answer those questions. So they'll be around, so you can wait in line uh, if there's a line. It'll be okay. Yes, and we will have prayer cards. We'll have uh, all the information you need to help you get connected to us. We would love for every single person in this church to be getting a newsletter from us, um, and, and that way you can be praying for us. We, we have enjoyed this partnership over the eight years that we've been doing this. We praise God for you. I just didn't want to leave the stage without saying thank you for the way that you have supported us over these eight years. Um, it brings tears to our eyes often when we think about the family that we have here at Seaford. So. Pastor Sam's first time in America. Mm-hmm. I hope that we graded okay. I hope that you liked it all right. <laughs> and uh, since you've come the longest to come and speak with us today, uh, I'm going to give you one minute to say anything you want to say to our church okay. and then close us in prayer. Uh, and then the band will come up. You want to say something? Okay. Uh, I want to thank the Lord so much because he has given me opportunity to speak to you guys. And I am blessed because this is my first time in this country. But I am blessed because I travel in many places within this, uh, this place. And there are a lot more things that I have learned that uh, maybe I'll go back and begin doing in Uganda. But also there are a lot more things that I have learned that I will not allow it to happen in Uganda. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to say this, that uh, you need to continue praying Amen. for us as we also pray with you. More especially, uh, Brian was saying, uh, we, are, we are going to get connected because out of all the pastors, it is only him that I spoke with before I came. And he knew I was coming, he knew what I was coming to do. So we'll be connected, we'll be praying, maybe if needs be, there's also what we call exchange visit, we will do that, maybe I'll, I'll come back again because I still have the visa that is not yet expired, so I'll come back again. But before I pray, I have a gift that I want to present to you, Pastor and his wife. So if your wife is around here, you can call She's hearing her dad, she's listening to her dad preach about an hour and a half away this morning. He's a a pastor too, so unfortunately she's not here. Okay. So I will present this gift uh, to Pastor, and uh, she will have the opportunity to take for his wife. So this is the gift for Pastor Michael. Do you want me to open it? And uh, okay. this is the gift for his Everyone wife. Everyone likes Christmas. We've got to see what he gets. All right. You all, ben, if you all want to come, you all can fill in behind us while I'm doing this. I was hoping it, I, I, as I was opening, I was hoping it might be this. Yes, because so your brother David White, you know, made me jealous this morning with his. Uh... All right. I like it. 
it's Hubble Hogan colors too. I could have worn this at VBS this week, so <laughs> very good. And do you want me to open my wife's, or do you want me to wait and let her open it? I, I don't know how you feel. If you want her to open for herself, it is I'll okay. I'll wait and let her open it. Okay, then that's fine. It'll be better that way. So I, I request you continue praying for us. I'll be leaving tomorrow, not going back, but I will leave tomorrow for another place to still be talking with the other people, but I will not come back this side. So as I leave tomorrow, I will continue until my flight on Monday. So keep praying for me. And also pray for my family. Uh, there's a, a little bit of a challenge because, uh, as Jillian was saying, they, when we went to other fellowship, where I stay, it is being sold off. So that means needs uh, another transfer, that needs another payment of the rent. But also I have four girls who are still at school, and this August is when they are going back. So they all need school fees. Two of them are in the seminary, and two of them are in the university. So. They need prayer that uh, God can open opportunity for me to get the fees. So thank you so much that uh, the Lord bless you. You can know supporting the ministry we are doing in Uganda until we we'll meet again. If we don't meet here, we'll meet in Uganda. If we don't meet in, in Uganda, then we believe we will all meet in heaven. Shall we pray? Amen. Loving Father, we are so grateful that you have given us opportunity this morning to gather here in front of you. We thank the Lord so much because you spoke to our heart and you challenged us at least to be the soul that will create the sass for the world. And we also were supposed to be the light of the world. And one man said, if we fail to be the light, our light cannot dispel darkness, then we cease to be the light. And Father, we pray that, Lord, even as we leave this place, going back in our respective places, we do pray that may you help us to be the light of the world. We pray that, Lord, these are your people. These are your children. We pray that, Lord, you bless them as they bless the work in Uganda. We pray for the pastor and his family that, Lord, as he stands to minister, we pray that, Lord, you will give him the grace. You will give him more abundant word to be speaking to you people. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given to us to be here. Father, I want to thank you so much because you have given me opportunity to travel to this place and meeting your children of this other part of the world. Father, we do pray even as we will be departing. Lord, we still remember to pray for one another because we need one another. Lord, we give you glory and honor that, Lord, even as we leave this place, your word will still remain in us, speaking to our heart, transforming us to the likeness of your son. Glory and honor to you, praying, believing, and trusting that you will bless our family, you will bless our children, you will bless the work of our hand, you will bless everything that we'll do for your own glory. We pray this, believing and trusting, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody say, Amen.